Good morning. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe. It is July 1st, um, 2020, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. And today's guest is um, uh, Ana Porras. And Ana is the uh, Spanish teacher, one of the Spanish teachers at Southport High School in Perry Township in Indianapolis, Indiana. She's also the chair of the World Language Department. And we're very honored to have her as our guest today. And we want to thank her uh, for being here. And uh, also thank you listeners for being here to listen. And we invite you to come to our next show, uh, which will be two or three weeks down the road. And our guest will be uh, Luisa Lograto, um, distinguished uh, Spanish teacher from Indianapolis, Indiana. She will be our guest uh, as well. So, uh, if you uh, have not listened to the podcast before, you can subscribe to it, and you can get to the the podcast uh, by looking up uh, Tom Square Language Cafe Apple Podcast, and you can be a subscriber so you get all the shows. They come into your email. So, um, it's a beautiful day here today. Uh, the sun's out. It's going to be a hot day, but we're close to July the 4th, and today... Uh, 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 Anna, do you want me to use Anna? Is that good? Uh, Christine. Christina. Okay, and I and um, better better known for me as Christina, uh, and uh, Christina is um, going to tell us a little bit about uh, her uh, duties and what she does at Southport High School. And uh, how long have you taught, Christina? Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say good morning and. Um, thank you for having me with you today. Well, you're um, most welcome. We're happy that you're here. Yes, I am. Uh, I serve as a Spanish teacher at Southport High School, also as co-department chair and mentor teacher and part of our inter- instructional leadership team. Um, I've taught for 25 years, so this will be my uh, 26th year, which should be very interesting. I think I'm going to feel like a first-year teacher again. With um, the pandemic, we're going to to have to change our schedule so we'll be doing some remote learning as well as some face-to-face instruction yeah could so you it'll be very interesting yeah could you tell the listeners how that might work out i know nothing's set in stone yet right i mean it's not but there are you probably have a good idea like you said it's going to be a mix a blend right i assume um yes there will be some students who will not be allowed to come back to school because uh-huh. of health conditions and so forth uh, we have not been given um our specific instructions yet, but I think we're going to change to a different type of modified block schedule where that would also um, correspond to something that we could do online with the same time frames. So um, right now we're just told to prepare everything as if we were teaching it online as well for those students who won't be able to be with us. Um, social distancing will be in order um Masks at certain times. Um, we're just not really sure how that's going to look yet. So there probably will be what seven people in a class, or eight, maybe nine. Well, that. we're really not sure yet um, until they give us further instruction. We just right. we just don't know what that's going to look like. So, will when they do the online, does that mean half the school will be home? Probably right. Is that right? No, at no. that. We honestly have not been told, honestly, we have not been told that information yet. So, so we are not sure how that is going to, to, to happen. To play out. 
but basically it is so half likely will be online and half will be live right in, in although classroom. we have to have we have to have everything prepared right. online for the students who won't be in any face-to-face -face sessions okay that uh, um, it must be I'm sure for the administrators extremely difficult to be able to, to have to come up with a plan for this because it seems like it's always in flux right the uh, how many uh, uh, new cases are the virus? How dangerous is it going to be for the students when you open, right? Which is, but you're opening up pretty soon, though, right? You open up the end of July? We do. Our uh, students' first day is July 29th, and we are scheduled to meet on July 29th face-to-face. Yeah. -face I, thought, I thought uh, there's quite a few districts around here doing that, though. They're opening the end of July, right? 29th? That, that's correct, yes. Yeah, I think so. So... But that, that uh, is, is interesting because um, is the plan to end the semester somewhat early? Uh, but don't you ha you usually have a fall break, right? Is that going to be knocked out? Or? No, we have not been instructed on any of those things Nothing yet. yet. Okay. So okay. I think they're just in the, the planning process for all of these. Right, right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your department. And I had the... The good fortunes of going down there uh, to your school, maybe six or eight weeks ago, it wasn't too long ago, eight couple months ago, and uh, before the pandemic hit, right? I, th I think it was the end of February, more. yeah, about three months ago, four months ago, um, and uh, I was down there and I got to visit some classes. Very impressive group of teachers, and uh, uh, a lot of. Um, different methodologies being used and people doing their own thing type things. It seemed to me like that everybody has kind of uh, some free reign to use their their favorite uh, form of instruction. Is that correct, probably? Um, I think we're fairly flexible. We are on the, um, using the TAP rubric for our evaluation process. So mm -hmm. um, there are some things that are similar that are expectations. But we have a lot of flexibility, and we're able to be creative with our students. Yeah, and which is great, because what you're saying, I assume, is, and what I observed, was that the teachers could be in their their um, their their creativity stream, right? The flow, I mean, as far as their creativity uh, 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 happens to be, whatever we could call it, a creativity flow, whatever. But the, what what they like to do you know, as long as, you know, they're covering the material, et cetera, but they had a lot of freedom. And I, th I, I was talking about that because I'm not sure, I think most schools do that, but uh, I, I think there's some that, that are rigid. They're very, very rigid, but I, I was very impressed by the way your department operated and how people seemed very pleasant and happy and, and like they were really loving their teaching, then, which is really a compliment for you and your department so uh, I think but it was it was very very uh, interesting and enjoyable day for me when I was there um, now so um, who you, you, now who is your principal I can't remember um, Brian Knight yeah Knight okay and uh, uh, so does do the administrators um, 
do they help a lot with the process? I would assume it looked to me like they were very helpful. I was watching them as they, some of them were moving around the halls, but they just seemed very pleasant and helpful and, and just amazing, really. Um, yes, we have a very supportive administration. They encourage us to take risks, um, to learn new things, to try new things for students. And um, they, they really just um, support us in all that we do. So um, anytime we decide that we want to take a risk and try something, um, we invite them to our rooms and they'll observe and give us some feedback on it. Um, but yeah, we have a very supportive administration and they just encourage us to be ourselves and to take risks. What, how wonderful is that? That is really nice, right? To be risk takers and, and, uh, which is one of the best things you can do in world languages, right? For teaching is to take risk. Um, now you've seen a lot of methods going on at your school and at conferences, et cetera. So what's your impression of the, the, the best way to teach world language. If you, if you were doing it totally yourself, you know, and you just said my favorite way to teach a world language, what, how would you say yours is? Well, I've been, um, following a lot of the, um, research based, um, information regarding conferential input. So we've really been, um, focusing on that, and this year um, it's going to be interesting because we adopted the Wayside textbook for all of our languages, actually, and we're just going to kind of see how that goes. We're just, I think, doing everything, and I, I know the listeners don't know that I was a student in your class um, many years ago, and you were using all those same strategies um, that are best practices today. So um, we're just trying to do a lot of comprehensible input. We're going to be using word walls. We're using technology to adapt activities, um, getting a lot of different resources resources in the target language, um, a lot of game-like activities. Um, and, and so a, a variety, right, is the spice of life. Variety, right? It sounds to me like what you're saying, though, within a comprehensible input, they have lots of variety, correct? Games and video games, the whole the whole gamut, which is beautiful. Yes, that's, that's wonderful. Um, so um, how many people are in the department? I'm trying to remember whether they're what? Were there five or six? There, there are actually nine of us. Nine we have, of us, okay. um, One teacher who teaches Latin part-time. We just um, concluded our Chinese program when our teacher retired, so we replaced that with Latin. And then we have ASL, and then we have Spanish, French, and German. Okay. Um, so the uh, type of students you get are from all levels, pretty much, right? I think. I mean, you get you get uh, students from the middle class, the lower lower middle class, and uh, the upper middle class, right? Not pretty much. Much. Um, am I missing anything there or not? Um, we have a very diverse community. Yes. Um, we have um, a lot of EL students, so um, maybe 
close to 25% of our school population, I'd say, were in the Yale program. And so you're, and, it's, it's a diverse population race-wise as well, right? There's, uh, it is. You have a lot of uh, Latinos, right? We do. A lot of Afro-Americanos, right? Afro-Americans, Latinos, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. Asiatics as well. We do, yes. And you have another big group, you told me. Uh, where um, is the group that um, recently, um, the Burmese students. Yes, the Burmese. Yes, yes, Burmese. So uh, it takes a lot of great teaching to, to be able to teach all of those variables, right? So the I noticed that day, I thought the flexibility that you that uh, you all had when you were teaching was phenomenal. And you, and you have to do that with all the diverse groups, the diversities present. Uh, and uh, I've often th thought that the best teachers in the world were those people, the teachers who were in diverse, uh, uh, diverse, diversely populated, populated schools, different races, etc. And uh, your school is a, a perfect example of that. Um, so you've been there a while at the school, so you obviously really enjoy teaching, right? So what? I, is, I have, yes. What is it that gives, brings, gives you that passion to teach? You think you were just born a teacher? Some people think people are just born teachers. The really good teachers, the great teachers, are just born that way, you know? I mean, was it just that you just were born that way or what? Well, I don't think I was born that way. I think it was a lot of training, a lot of hard work. And just learning. I think the most important thing I learned as a teacher, I used to think that I taught Spanish and I teach students. And when I made that connection and it was all about the students and not as much about the Spanish, then the Spanish just fell in line. Yes, yes. So it's the people, right? The, the, the kids, the, the important issue. Um, so um, now, so your husband, I believe you told me, he's from Honduras, right? Yes. So you are Espanol mucho, eh? You get a lot of practice, right? <laughs> yes, but that's for, our home language now. So yes. For, the, for yes. the listeners, Cristina is not a native speaker, pero habla igual o mejor que los nativos, eh? And she speaks beautiful Spanish, but she uh, actually was born in Indianapolis and uh, is not a, a native speaker, but she has since become the next thing to a native speaker and beyond. <laughs> she has beautiful Spanish, very beautiful Spanish. Um, you. You're welcome. And uh, so now you studied Spanish at Marion College, right? That is correct, before it even became a university here in Indianapolis. Yeah, and it's now a university. It's Marion University. Mm -hmm. uh, that also happened to be the place where I started my Spanish study years ago uh, before going to graduate school at IU, but I started my Spanish there as, as well at Marion College. Um, now, what are some of your fun memories when you were in college there. I know you studied with uh, Sister Roseanne, who was a great uh, professor, uh, but um, what did you like about Marion College at the time? It's, it, it's still, it's a little bit bigger than it was when you were there and when I studied there even before that, but did you like the personal learning that went on there, the personalized learning? Absolutely. That was one of the... Um the biggest decisions that I had to make was where to go to school. So originally I was thinking about going to IUI. I knew I needed to stay in a city. And then it was actually you who suggested Marion. And when I went and um, I just fell in love with it. So I, I really enjoyed having a small learning environment. Yeah. Now for the listeners who don't know this, it's a special 
treat to have uh, Christina on the show because I actually had her in class in middle school. And then when I moved to the high school, I was in the middle school, the school called South Wayne uh, Junior High. And I think I had Christina for three levels of Spanish, seventh, eighth, ninth. Then when I went to the high school, I again had Christina for a couple more years of Spanish, two or three more at the high school. And uh, needless to say, she was very gifted in language. She had a gift for, for picking language up. She was incredibly gifted uh, linguistically. And, uh, and she certainly went on to become a, a star teacher. So uh, we're certainly very proud of her and, uh, uh, and all that she's accomplished. Um, I wanted to go back to the personalized learning thing. I, that was another thing I observed when I was there at uh, your school, uh, was the personalized learning going on. I thought there was a lot of personalized learning when I was the, watching you teach and, and the other people teaching, that there seemed to be a lot of really caring between the teacher and the kids. And uh, how big do you think that is, this personalization when you're teaching with the class, uh, and how do you go about making it more personalized when you're teaching, like groups and things? What do you do to do that? I think one of the things is just establish relationships at the very beginning. So at the beginning of the school year, I try to make sure that the kids know each other and feel comfortable with each other. Also, um, we do some team building things. Um, just to try to, like the first few days of school, just so that everybody feels comfortable with everyone else. And so I think that uh, classroom environment is very important for what's going to happen with the actual language learning so that students feel comfortable with one another. They're willing to take risks. They're not afraid to fail. So what, what would you say to a beginning teacher about this personalized learning, uh, motivation of the students, et cetera? What kind of advice would you give them? I would say that you just have to connect with your students. If students, I, I just don't really feel that you can teach students that you don't know, not really teach them. You may teach them a few things, but if you really want to stick with them, you have to connect with them. Um, so um, do you see any problem in the future, the near future with getting enough teachers for language teachers? Uh, do you think there's a lot more entering the profession? What's your feel for that? Um, as far as um, how many are entering the profession, I'm not really sure. Um, for our school, we get student teachers most every year. So I don't know if it's just for some languages. It seems that there are fewer maybe going into German or French. But as far as, as, far as Spanish, it seems that we, they're always asking us to take student teachers. So I don't know if that's a reflection of they just want to be at our school because um, we have a really good reputation or if if students are just real or if college students are really just going into teaching. So I don't have the research to back that up. I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. um, what, what are your favorite places to visit uh, where Spanish is spoken? Do you have any favorites? Well, I, as I participated in your program, um, in Guadalajara, the teaching program, and you may want to talk a little bit about that. But that was one of my favorite places because when I went there, I've traveled um, not extensively. I've been to Mexico a few times. I've been to Puerto Rico, um, Spain. I've um, 
I would just have to say that I love being in Guadalajara. And I think it was due to the program um, because it was just a program designed for teachers. And then I had a lot of freedom to explore in the context of teaching. And I think that yeah. was one of the, my favorite places to be was Guadalajara. Yeah, but we were able to do that. We, we have some great teachers down there uh, that help us in the program. And we're able to connect the culture and the language with the classroom, I think. And by the activities we do and, and uh, the things that the teachers bring back for their students uh, from the program. Um, that's, that's awesome. Um, now, I know you go to the IFLTA conference. Why do you think it's a good idea that language teachers attend a conference once in a while? Why should they do that? I think the IFLTA conference is incredible because um, you learn what's going on, like what the newest strategies are. And I think as they're doing more research, um, brain research, and as they discover more how people learn and how language is, is learned, I just think getting the new ideas and the best strategies to make um, proficient students proficient in language. Um, I did notice that you... Um, you hosted at your school, correct? The Indiana Academic Competition in Spanish, right? That was recently, um, correct? Yes, we did that for the last two years. It was a two-year commitment. So um, it, mainly everything was put together for us, and then we just kind of had to do the logistics to put it all together and to host it. Now, can you tell the listeners what happens that day on the Spanish Competition Day? The, what well, kind that, of activities? On that day, there. Um, is there are many competitions that students prepare for outside of that actual day. So they'll do, um, for example, posters, skits, um, trying to think of all the competitions. They have music, uh, singing, and dance. Um, they'll have some kind of grammar competitions and things that they actually participate on that day. Some of it is uh, reciting poetry, um, Um, of activities so that students can compete in their language. How, now, so the importance of studying world language today, why do you think kids should study a world language? Well, I think it's very important, um, just even as a student. I think it improves thinking skills, problem-solving skills. Um, it helps students become more competitive, um, and gives them an edge uh, for employment. Um, we're trying to develop global leaders, um, and it promotes cultural understanding. I just think it's so valuable for students to study a second language or a third language. Now, do you have any memories that you have of your, uh, the favorite memories you have in class of some students uh, or what they've gone on to do with their Spanish. Any any thoughts on that? I think the one that sticks most in my mind, uh, a lot of times you think it's the top students who just always excel. And, and for me, some of my, I, I love working with those students, and it's so fun to watch them grow. Sometimes it's the student that doesn't really like Spanish that much, or they don't. They like me in my class, but they don't necessarily have that as their interest. 
And probably one of the best memories is a student that I had many years ago, and I ran into him um, a couple of years ago, and he had taken Spanish up to Spanish 2. And he just came up and he thanked me, and he said, thank you so much, you were right, because he wanted to quit Spanish. And I said, no, you keep, you need to keep going because you never know where you're going to end up in your life. And so he ended up being a, a missionary in oh, Central America. Isn't that wonderful? And he said that that was incredible, that just the Spanish that he learned in my class and how much it had helped him. So when you have students come back to you and let you know that they made a difference in their lives, or Makes, and sometimes yeah. it's not always just with Spanish, but just things that you've done for students, and they come back and they remember being in your class. That's, and they, that's they marvelous, beautiful. Now, yeah. do you do you uh, have a fun thing that happened in class? Comedy, funny thing that happened to you unexpectedly that was extremely funny, where you may have. Uh, I always remember a philosophy teacher I had in college. He tripped over a wastebasket, <laughs> and it was it was funny though. He made it fun. He was a really neat guy, and he made it fun. And he tripped over the wastebasket. It was I think his first day of class, and he was I happened to have him for a class and. And he tripped, kind of tripped over the wastebasket. And you, some little thing you remember like that. Do you have anything that happened in class? We laugh in my classroom every day. So, <laughs> um, but something funny that happened to you that you, you know, that you bring a laugh on when you do it or something. Oh, that happened to me. Yes. Personally, oh, it's just sometimes when something. Um, even even though I feel that my team is is pretty good. Uh, sometimes just something random comes out, and so unexpected. Right? I was trying to tell someone to turn off the light, or I was trying to tell someone to shut the door and turn off the light. And I said, um, "Apaga la puerta," which would be turn off the door. And so it's just things like that. And I just laugh at the kids, and and those those kind of things are are funny when the kids understand that I make mistakes too. Yeah, and so it happens. Often. <laughs> that is good. That's a good, that very nice. Um, so if you were giving a tip to a teacher, a new teacher about teaching a world language, what would be the top thing you would give them as a tip or, the, you know, something they really have to pay attention to? I think this, um, probably one of the most important things is not necessarily to think of focusing on teaching them the Spanish first. I, um, was doing a professional development. There's um, a book called Make It Stick, The Science of uh, Successful Learning. And I think I just took it for granted for years that students know how to study. And somehow I picked up, you know, through my educational career, I just naturally was able to learn the material that I need to learn. And then it dawned on me a few years ago that many have that innate ability to do that. And so I think one of the most important things is to find strategies to make it stick for students. And then by, by doing different activities, um, a variety of ways in which um, students can come to conclusions on their own, I think it, doing those make it stick strategies really helps the students That's, to learn, not just in Spanish, but those are skills that they can carry to their and, classes And, and well. that, that brings out the creativity factor, right? The creativity factor and the, the the teaching is an art right teaching really is an art it's like 
you have to put things together. It's like you're directing an orchestra, kind of. Yeah, everything works together if it's really done right, correct? And and uh, if 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 the teachers are well prepared and all these things work together, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I th I think that's probably the. Don't, do you think that 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 it really is an art? There's an art to teaching well. Uh, there absolutely is an art to teaching well, and a lot of that has to do with. Um, the person and what they bring to the table. So um, to be a, like an outstanding teacher, I think you just have to be caring. You have to be empathetic, kind. Um, you have to be knowledgeable. But the most important thing is that you strive to do better. So what, no matter what level you enter at as a teacher, you just always have to grow and professional development and, and learn more of your own yeah. learn more of the language that you're yeah. teaching and always be willing um, to learn more right and change right and maybe change yes, adapting <laughs> yes adapting and um so um let's, let's talk a minute about variety in the classroom of strategies teaching strategies um so you have favorite teaching strategies every teacher has their own favorite teaching strategies um one thing that uh, sometimes I uh, don't really agree with totally, you know, like the, the TPRS um, the method of, of the teaching, uh, reading uh, through storytelling and speaking. Uh, I, I like it. I enjoy it. I like the reading. I like the idea of students reading, you know, little novels and plays, whatever, and et cetera. But... Uh, I don't think that everything should be that, you know, that shouldn't be the only thing we're doing. And uh, I know it's, it's the TPRS uh, uh, way of teaching is good, but I really think we have to also think about variety and, and, and all the, the differentiated instruction type things that are going on, the people we have to deal with in the classroom and everybody doesn't like that, you know, the, and that's why we have to change and be and have variety uh, in what we're doing, the different strategies. Um, but I know. Well, I think it's a, a strategy. Yes. I think if that's the only way you're trying to teach, your students will not do well. No, they won't. Um, do, or yeah. at least you will not have the outcomes that you expect. Right, right. Because right. there are many students. I'm a student who personally, I would not learn well with just that teaching strategy. No, no. So if I have that combined with all of the other things that we're going to do. Yeah, it's. But, it's it's one tool, correct? It's one of the many tools. And, uh, that's correct. And uh, uh, I think that's an important thing to, to make that point, that it is a teaching tool. Um, one of many, and, and from what I've seen through my years teaching, the more tools we have teaching and the more diver diverse uh, m methods that we use, uh, we're going to hit people's interests um, um, and there was, um, there used to be the, um, uh, Howard Gardner. Do you remember Howard Gardner? And he did the thing on multiple intelligences. Remember those? Yes. And that, that was, was a, like the format training. Yes. The, but yes. it was beautiful because everything, you know, there would be, you would try to interest the students in poetry, interest them in sports, uh, music for the band people, uh, sports for the athletes and, the tech, tech people, you'd have your technology things. But it was a beautiful way to really reach all people. And, it, and it's something I think sometimes we got to 
maybe bring back into a little bit more what we're doing, you know, that type thing, you know, where we're, yes. I I think one of the most important things is the activities and strategies have to be varied. They have to be fun. They have to be challenging and they have to be relevant. Yes. And if you have all of those things, then. And varied, as you said, right? Varied, as you say. Um, And I, I think too, we have to, sometimes we have to think more about, Using in class, um, we talk about music uh, uh, and dance and song and and, and uh, learning dances. The culture part of it uh, is huge, uh, and I, I don't know sometimes if we ever have time because of the the, the restraints, the covering material, etc. That we get to teach culture enough sometimes, but I think we need to always think about that. You know, the the dance and the um, the song and the the kids singing and, and doing things like that, painting, learning about the great artists um, and the writers and, and etc. So it's a it's a huge thing, right? I mean, this the culture part. Um, how do you bring culture into the classroom? What are your favorite things for that? Um, well, I think my the most fun thing that I do um, would be jokes. Mm-hmm. I incorporate jokes into my classroom every day, especially for my advanced students. They have a joke every single day. That was one of the things that they miss most. They say, I I really miss your jokes when, um, for example, when we went to remote learning, I could have posted a joke every day, but it's just not really the same. And so they're like, we just want to be back in school and hear your jokes. That's good. I, I think that's very important. All um, right, just right. to get the kids laughing. And I've got a cheese day for you here. What que hace un pez? Nada. Mm-hmm. Muy bien. For the listeners, that means what does the fish do? And nada means nothing. It also means it swims. Nada, right? A dónde va un gato cuando muere? Al purgatorio. See, si. where does a cat go when he dies? He goes to Purgato, which is cat, right? Purgatorio, purgatorio. Okay, that was a good one. All right, do you have another one? Oh, good grief. <laughs> it's hard to think of one on the spot. Oh, uh, what did Jaime say to his dad when he left for the city? See you, dad. See you. Uh-huh. See you, Dad. See you, Dad. See you, Dad. Okay, good. Yeah, that's kind of like, uh, what is the, the cosa? Um, uh, ¿Cómo dicen en inglés estas cosas? Um, salvo para, para see you, Dad. Es, um, no son modismos, son um, puns, right? Pun? Oh, yes. Un poco. Um, so, okay, now... What about technology in the world classroom? Why is that so important today? Or up to what point is it important where you have to still have live, you know, human t- contact, etc.? Well, I, th- I think the most effective way is to be able to see your students and make those connections with them. But obviously, there are times when technology really becomes in handy. Um, for example, when we had to go to remote learning, obviously, that was um, great to be able to continue our instruction. Um, but we can also adapt activities to students um, to give them activities at, at their own level. Um, 
also, I, I love it because we have so many resources in the target language. So there, it's so easy to find things, a commercial or um, a song or just to watch the dance or to see something. So for me, it's a lot easier to incorporate some of those cultural things um, because I can get a public service announcement or I can pull something that's um, meant for, uh, for native speakers and then the student, I can do activities and build activities based on... Yeah, um, do, do you find you use YouTube a lot, too, to get the culture? I do. Yeah, yes, YouTube is incredible. Yeah. Um, so, um, what percentage of time do you think you use technology? If, you, if you're teaching 100%, where does that fall into things? Maybe 30 30%? Well, it's hard to put a percentage on it because I use it for different things. Uh -huh. I use technology every day to um, present material. Right. Um, as far as the students having to do things, um, it's as far as what they have to do mm -hmm. technology-wise, it's it's mostly out what they do outside of the classroom. Okay. Those are not things. When I have the students in front of me, I like to do activities where they're speaking and communicating and. Right. Um, just doing hands-on activities. Good. So yes. most of the things that they do technology-wise from the student standpoint is something that they would do outside of class. Okay. Now, how would you describe a creative teacher? What makes a creative teacher? I think that a creative teacher is a teacher who knows who they are. They take risks. They're not afraid to fail. They're flexible. When they realize something isn't going well, they just adjust on the fly and genuine. I think you have to be genuine and true to yourself and not try to do somebody else's creative activity that you found on Teachers Pay Teachers, for example. Right. You may get ideas, but you need to tweak it and make it your own. Okay. Um, I think a creative teacher looks for research um, that supports the activities that they want to do and yeah. the outcomes that they want from their students. I think a creative teacher makes it relevant for the students. Whatever they're um, trying to get the students to learn, it needs to be I, relevant. I really like your point where you said um, uh, making things relevant. Plus, I like your thing about uh, the teacher has to create their things, right? Their own things. You can't just get something in two seconds, you know, go to the teacher pay teachers, you get... Uh, whatever it is, resources you have, supplemental materials, they're okay once in a while or for a specific thing. But you have to be careful that you don't depend so much on that that you don't create things, right? I think that's a really good point. Well, I think it's... I use Teachers by Teachers and other um, uh -huh. resources that I find, but I always tweak it. I don't just take it because there are great ideas that we can share. But you have to make that your... Something has to be right. your own in order for the kids to buy into it. If you just get something and you put it out there, it, it would be like a student turning in someone else's work. Right. You have right. to make it your own. Right. And it's okay to share ideas. Right, exactly. So that we can grow. Because there are many things that I've learned, for example, at conferences. There are things that I've found on Teachers Be Teachers. There are things that I've looked up online. And I take that information. Right. And then I'm a better teacher because I had not even thought about that. And what a great strategy that would be for kids. Um, what are your, um, 
what qualities do you think make up an outstanding teacher? What would be the top four or five qualities you look for in an outstanding teacher? Probably the biggest is the the teacher has to be caring, um, mm-hmm. kind, patient, knowledgeable, but um, kind of humble. Like knowing that you know it's okay to make mistakes. You don't know everything, and just yeah. be willing to accept that. I it, think sometimes as teachers, we want to have all the answers, and it's okay not to have the answers. And I think when you're honest with students and you say, I don't know, let's look it up. Yeah. Or if you ask a native speaker, yeah. how do you say that in your country? How do you say that in your country? And then I think you get a lot of rich conversations. That's that well, well said, beautiful. That's very well said. And uh, I like the humble th- idea as well because... Um, uh, that is very, very important because the the more you teach, and you probably see this every year, but the more I teach, the more I realize how dumb I am, right? I mean, we can know a little bit of the billions of things there are to know about language and culture and and to pretend that one knows a lot, you know, or that you're the great expert is, is very dangerous, right? Uh, you know, everybody knows a lot of things. And as you said, if, if one is humble and respects people, uh, I think that's also when you look at the teachers who have taught for years and survived and kept teaching and were very effective, I think that's what you'd find in those teachers, that just what you said, those type of things. They're very humble, and I know some of the great teachers that I've been influenced by in my career are very humble people. They were very humble people, and uh, uh, always saying they didn't know much that they you know you knew a little bit and the other danger i think in teaching sometimes is that, that i like what you're saying about some of these qualities that uh, it's good for all of us to look on that and say yeah maybe we can improve some of that you know when we're when we teach um and um that that, that really is important um and then the the other thing is for teachers to not written not think that they know about teaching, there's only, for example, there's only one way to teach. Uh, there are some people out there, and you, I'm sure you've run into them in your career. You know, it's like my way is the only way to teach. There's only one way to teach. And obviously we know that is not the case, you know, that everybody has their style. And thank goodness that everybody's different because at least everybody, you know, it, we're all different and that, that makes for a variety in teaching and learning and everything else. So... Uh, as you said, humility make, goes a long way in, uh, in things. Um, and the other thing, I think, is the risk-taking that you mentioned, too, a while ago. Uh, I think that's another great uh, quality for teachers, that they risk-take. And you do, and, and I know a lot of your people do their teaching, because uh, I get to see it firsthand. But risk-taking is really important, uh, where you go out and take a risk, and you're not afraid to try new things every day. And uh, in that way, it becomes fun to teach, right? Uh, and uh, that, that part is, is really in, incredible. Um, so... Well, one thing I wanted to comment on is a lot of times we think about, oh, I'm a good, te- I'm a good teacher, this is a good strategy, where we should really shift the focus to say, what's going on in my classroom? And I think even when I was used to be evaluated, I would think, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And then I realized one day, it's not about what I'm doing, it's what are my students doing? Are my students engaged? 
Are they respectful? Are they kind and caring to each other? Are they taking risks? Are they trying? Are they working? Um, are they having fun? And when I change the focus to what is it to be an outstanding teacher, what am I doing on my checklist and change it to what are my students doing? And I think that's when I started getting more, even more out of my students. Yes. And, and again, what you do impacts them, right? And, and the more you can get them to be, be with you and, and learn, the better things go. And, uh, and it boils down and it always goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, it's about the students, right? It's about the students and uh, that we got to always remember that, the students and how they react and uh, if they're learning, et cetera. So it, it is about them a lot. That has a lot to do with it. Um, so, well, I appreciate you for being on the show. It's been fun talking to you and getting all these great ideas. <laughs> you gave us a lot of great ideas for teaching and uh, really, really appreciate you being on the show and wonderful ideas. And uh, uh if um, we'll have you back on someday, you know, and maybe after the virus is over, <laughs> the pandemic, and uh, you can tell us what how you uh, folks make it through this because it's it is going to be a challenge for the educators. It's going to be a challenge, uh, but I'm sure everybody will do well. But it, it will be, as you said, it's going to be a lot of different things that we're going to have to get used to, and uh, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, changes and things. But it. It's all for the best, right? And it's going to be better in the, in the long run. So we'll all be better for it. Um, so, um, again, thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on all your great work you've done. And it just you're a wonderful, wonderful teacher, as uh, is your school. And I had visited there several times over the years. And it's fun to go there and watch you, you guys teach and uh uh, I've learned a tremendous amount from all of you, and I appreciate your help, and thank you so much. Uh, have a great day. Have you got any special plans today? Um, we, we've got grandkids today, so <laughs> you, <laughs> we'll probably uh, do some fun kids stuff. Nah, you, have one, you have one daughter and three grandkids, right? Yes, and how, seven, three, and two. Seven, three, and two. So Christina's going to be busy. She's... The, you people out there who have grandkids know that that's a it's great fun but it's a lot of work it <laughs> so, is a lot of work but it's nothing like it right so it's worth the effort and the work but it, it is some work it, it does take some work um so well i appreciate it again for you being on and uh, uh we'll be in touch and hopefully that uh you know we'll uh, you know you can tell me how things go on the on the new uh the new opening and, and what you're going to be doing in the, during the, the COVID pandemic as far okay. as teaching goes. We will be in touch. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, have a wonderful day. And for the listeners out there, thank you for listening. And uh, all of you have a great day and get, get out and uh, get some ac exercise and activity because it seems like, I don't know how uh, Christina's been, but I feel like I'm seated too much. Do you feel that way? I would tend to agree with yes, that. Yes, we're sitting down too much. So get out and walk, run, whatever, and everybody, and have a great day. Don't forget to tune in. Luisa Legrado is going to be our next guest uh, coming up soon. So thanks again, and um, sign up to be uh, have a subscription to the podcast, the Apple Podcast. Thanks to Apple for sponsoring the show. Thanks. Bye.